Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Sif Heider, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, Dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hello, 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 guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Dream Bigger Podcast. So today is a big, exciting day for me because we have officially launched our newest product at Array, the Sleep Alchemy Capsules. So this has been something we've been working on for almost two years. R&D has taken forever because we really wanted to come up with like the perfect formula for sleep, something that was melatonin-free. You could take it and not wake up groggy in the morning. I am not the biggest fan of melatonin because it is an exogenous hormone and things you can get over the counter, like the dosing is way off. And it's actually like the only hormone that you can get over the counter, which is something, I mean, I feel like it's a conversation for another day, but we really wanted to find a better solution than melatonin for really high quality sleep. So anyway, we just launched sleep today we've been working on it forever. I was in New York last week to launch it to editors and um, a few uh, women from the Array community and the feedback so far has been so phenomenal. And I'm just really, really excited that it's out in the world. But that is this week's hot tip. The sleep capsules are essentially a melatonin-free formula. It is a neurotransmitter and four herbs that help with deep restful sleep. It's an issue that's very close to my heart personally because sleep is something that women struggle with more than men and it impacts us in like a much greater way. It impacts everything from obviously digestion, number one. If you're not sleeping well, you are not digesting food properly. You're not absorbing nutrients properly, which is very problematic. But beyond that, you know, there's obviously the implications that it has around productivity and mood and probably most importantly, hormones and fertility. So, you know, as a woman, this issue is like so close to my heart and I feel like we really deserve good, high quality sleep so that we can function and do all the things that we do in our very multifaceted lives. So I hope you guys get to try the product. Let me know what you think if you do. And yeah, just wanted to update you on that little life update and 
tell you guys how excited I am about this launch. So let's talk about this week's guest. She is a fellow entrepreneur and someone who I really look up to because I've known about her brand for years. I feel like I've been an OG kind of like customer slash brand fan for like I'm going to say like the last like seven, eight years. So our guest, of course, is none other than the gorgeous Goriana Rydell, who is the founder of the jewelry line Goriana. So I'm sure you guys, if you live in North America, especially have seen Goriana stores basically everywhere. They have these beautiful jewelry stores and they do really high quality jewelry pieces, which are fashion forward, very wearable on a daily basis, and also really affordable. I loved chatting with Goriana today because... She was a wealth of information and especially a really good example of an entrepreneur who has scaled a business very successfully, having not taken outside funding. Again, you know, when I speak to entrepreneurs, this is an area that I'm particularly interested in because I think it's really important that we get exposure to people who've grown their businesses with outside capital and without outside capital, just so that everyone knows that whatever direction they're going in is absolutely possible. Goriana also, interestingly enough, they since they have a lot of brick and mortar stores, they had to pivot quite a bit during the pandemic and then obviously come back after the pandemic. So it's a really interesting story. She works alongside her husband, who's her co-founder. So lots of juicy bits and pieces to this conversation. And I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. This week's review comes to us from Elena Sanders, and she says, love this show. Recently found this podcast and I'm obsessed hearing Sif's and her guest's passion will ignite you. Um, This is such a sweet review. Thank you so much, Elena. And guys, if you have two seconds to leave me a review, please, please take the time to do that. It's the best way to support the show. Um, All you have to do is open the Apple podcast app, scroll to the bottom where it says rate and review the show. Leave me a five-star rating if you feel like that's what I deserve. And then in the review, tell me what you're loving about the show, what you want to see more of, and any dream guests. It just really helps me mold the show into something that provides a lot of value to you, which is obviously the motive behind why I do what I do. So please do take a second to leave me a review if you have a chance. And with that, let's welcome Goriana to the show. So I want to talk about your time pre-Goriana, okay. like the brand, yeah, not pre-you. <laughs> you were working as a model, right? Yep. Tell me about the time in your life. So I started modeling when I was 16 in Scottsdale. We had like a division of Ford. So I modeled, it was called Ford Robert Black. And I started that at 16. And like, that was kind of my intro into fashion. I basically like always wanted to, like, I loved fashion. I was fashion obsessed. Like growing up in Canada, I'd be like at O'Cotton or like Esprit, like all the time, like as a kid. Esprit, (laughs) I remember. It was, it was it. It was like the thing. It was the thing. I have always been obsessed with fashion. It was cool. And I was like, oh, okay. Like now getting into modeling. And it was awesome from a exposure standpoint, but I was always like, oh, this isn't, I wasn't really good at it. I could say like, I was like, that wasn't my thing, but I did fall in love with like the fashion industry in that aspect. And is that when you kind of started to notice jewelry or like, was that later Okay. So jewelry literally fell into my life. I always tell people like be open to the signs and like where life sort of takes you. I thought I would always design like clothing because I'm clothing obsessed and all that. And I graduated with a marketing degree, tried to get like a marketing kind of like office 
job and I was like, wasn't really flowing, had retail experience, interviewed at Neiman Marcus, like on a whim. And the cosmetic manager was like, oh, I need somebody. Can you start like in a week? Like she just happened to be like walking in as I was like walking in. And I was like, great. Awesome. We're done. But when that was done, because it was like an internship period, all they had was an assistant manager in the jewelry department. Mm. And I was, to be honest, I was like, oh, I don't, I mean, I love jewelry, but I know nothing about it. Mm -hmm. And then it, I just like fell in love with it. Like I just, I remember the first day, like the manager walking me around being like, this is this stone. I was like, I am never going to know any of this. This is so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And then it just kind of like fell into my lap as the medium I was, I guess, supposed to work with. And what was that transition like working at that like marketing office job into like more of like a retail manager? I never got the job. I never, I was, you never even got it. No, I was just like, I can't do that. I was like, Ah. this is not, I've always been a creative, like grow. So I grew up in Serbia Mm -hmm. around grandmothers and my mom that were constantly like knitting, sewing, like crocheting. So it was always, everything was handmade. Hands, yeah. And I was like knitting my Barbie doll sweater. So like, I always loved that. Majoring in marketing because I loved that aspect too of business. I wanted to like be like, you know, have that background. But then realized like, I can't, I needed to be creative. Mm -hmm. And so, and I guess retail was a great sort of like in between because I was like, I could be around people and be like moving around and like kind of, I didn't feel like I, I don't know, it wasn't like, just focus on one thing. And it was kind of like, what am I going to do? And I continued to model through that whole time. Got it. Okay, yeah. cool. And then you fall in love with jewelry. What happens then? Like why so, the desire to start? Yeah. So brand? I go and work for a jewelry designer that was local in Newport uh-huh. Beach. She did really high-end stuff. So it was great because I got to go like downtown LA and got to see all the places that she was sourcing and then realized like, okay, yes, there's like grade AA stones, but there's also like B grade and C grade stones that to me, I was like, are just as beautiful. Cause mm-hmm. I love that more like kind of like organic kind of look, like it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be perfect, perfect. And so I kind of learned the business and then I was like, oh, this is fun. And since I come from that handmaking, jewelry is really easy to handmake. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't have like, I didn't know how to sew clothing or whatever. So like I never got into that, but jewelry I could I started helping and like learning how to make stuff and then I was like oh wait I can start making stuff and I just started making stuff for my friends and family and then it kind of just grew from there but it wasn't like a big idea it wasn't like I'm going to be a jewelry designer that's so interesting that you say that because I feel like a lot of the times you like I think that there's two schools of thought here right like some entrepreneurs I speak to and they're like I always knew I was gonna start this big business and it was gonna be a success and then you have other people who are like oh I just kind of fell into it and like it really I mean for you it like really fucking worked out like Griana is like a massive brand now yeah which is I don't even think it is I mean (laughs) you know know what I'm saying like I don't look at it that way but yes like basically my husband and I were like kind of between things he has like a marketing degree Uh and a law background Uh, and then he's like look you're making all this stuff he's like let me call stores for you because I was petrified I was not a salesperson I was not like oh hey so he would call and be like hey my wife has a jewelry line can she come show it to you and we were literally doing it to survive and we had all these other ideas we thought we were going to start a skincare brand we were going to do this and that and then it was this right just kind of kept nose. going yeah. as like to pay the bills, but then it just kept evolving and evolving. And we kind of, I say like our biggest thing is we've always been, always been adaptive. And mm-hmm. so we could always be like, oh, okay. Like, where's the opportunity? And you're like, 
kind of figuring that out. And then next thing you know, it's like where it's like 19 years later and we have this like brand and business and it's so big. And you're like, oh, my God, we like if you asked me day one, I'd be like, no way. Well, I mean, I think you have to be nimble as a founder. And like I this is like something I don't think I've ever shared on the podcast. But when Nish and I started Array, I mean, our idea of what big was or what achievable was in like a shorter period of time was like just I mean, like it as you scale your idea completely shifts. But when we were starting out, I remember like day one, we were like, okay, like if we do $10,000, we'll take a trip to Tulum because we were like, this is it. Like $10,000, like the amount of product you have to sell. And now it's like, you know, like what is $10,000, you know? No, a hundred percent. You're like, okay, that's nice. But like after all the expense, yeah, no. Like once you get into it, you're like, oh. And I don't know if everyone does this, but I feel like the scale just keeps moving up, right? Because you're like, also you want to keep it interesting Mm -hmm. and kind of like keep growing. And it's the whole process of like that adventure, right? You're constantly learning. And so with that comes growth. And so it's just this, evolution. And next thing you like, look back and you're like, oh my God, I thought that was going to be a big deal. And like now nothing. And it's, you know, yeah, it's really, it's a, it's a funny journey. So when you were in the early stages Mm -hmm. and you guys were just kind of like, this was almost like a passion project. It sounds like, right. Yeah. Or a necessity project. Yeah. Or a necessity (laughs) project. So what, what were the people around you saying? Like, were, did you ever face any resistance or like oh my God. doubt from like- Yeah, I mean, like, look, my husband went to law school. Like his parents were like, he's going to be an attorney. Like it was like, you know, there's like that expectation. And then, you know, my parents, like I come, you know, like, you know, it's like my parents are like, my dad's an engineer, PhD. Like, it's like, you know, and then they're like, what are you two doing? Like, what exactly is this? Like, that's nice. You're making jewelry. But like, literally, like we would go to stores, it would be in a fish tackle box. Like I was like taking. So to our family, I think they were like, mm-hmm, that's nice. Like, this will be a nice phase for them. But then they'll find their way. So I think most people thought we would like, find our way to something else. Like not that this was going to be the thing. So like, what advice do you have for other kind of business owners or like early stage Mm -hmm. founders, perhaps who are going through the same thing and maybe their families and friends just don't really get it. And there's like a little bit of resistance or pushback or just kind of confusion there. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to stay, you got to stay true to yourself. And if you truly believe like you're on the right path, it doesn't have to be like, because what are you doing? It could mm-hmm. be just because, like, it's sustaining, like, the kind of life you want to have. You want to be an entrepreneur. You want to try different things. Like, if that feels right to you, just stick to it. It will eventually make sense. And maybe, you know, I've been around a ton of entrepreneurs that, like, it is a stepping stone. And then they get to, like, something else. It's, like, another venture they do. But I feel like you just kind of have to believe in yourself and not— I always say, like, from a perspective, like, no one knows what you're going through fully, right? You're the only one. And so I think if it makes sense to you and whoever your business partners or if it's just you alone, like, I think that's the most important thing because then you can be authentic to that and stay true to that. You know what I mean? Were you always like super confident because how did you, or did you have moments of doubt? Because I think that, I mean, people have different personalities, but you know, as you tell me this, you sound like someone who's like, who's like very sure of themselves, even though it wasn't necessarily the conventional So my husband and I say we have blind confidence. Yeah. It's almost like this, like, yeah, we can do it. Yeah. Yeah, It's like naiveness that you're like, yeah, we can do that. Like, I don't really know how hard that is. And there's been tons of times when I get into it, I'm like, 
oh my, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> like This is way harder than I thought it would be. But you like push through. You have that like oomph to just go like, okay, I'm, I want to achieve this and I need to get there. I mean, a lot of the times through two though, I will say like we've set not goals, but been like headed in a direction and then realize like, oh, well, to get to point B, we're going to have to go, like, around this way. It's not going to be, like, this way. And we've been very adaptive in that way. And mm-hmm. you kind of have to do that. And sometimes the end result also changes of what your goal is. Like, I'm sure for you, like, you're like, oh, we're going to do, sure. we want to do this. And then you're like, oh, like, we never thought we'd have our own stores. Mm-hmm. We have 28 now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, in, that's you massive. Know, it's yeah. massive. Like, I never thought that was a possibility. Like, it wasn't even in our, not because it wasn't a possibility, it just wasn't even a goal. And then all of a sudden we like opened one and we were like, oh, wow, this is like really cool and like really a different experience for our customer. I really think like this is our path. And then you kind of start following that path. Hi, guys. My name is Sarah Nicole and I am the host of the Papaya Podcast, where each week we dish out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom all through candid conversations in a very real and tangible way. I want everyone to know that they're not alone and that we share in these experiences called life. And sometimes when we get to know somebody else's story, it changes ours a little bit as well. So I want you to tune in with us on Mondays. Subscribe, rate and review it and keep these conversations going with us. You can tune in behind the scenes at the Papaya Podcast and the Birds with Fire on Instagram as well. Can't wait to see you next week. I really do think that as an entrepreneur, you actually have to be nimble and adaptable. And I think that people have this misconception that you must start a business with this like big business plan. And like, no business plan. Like I didn't like, what the fuck is a business plan? Like I did not have. Oh, I've never had. No, we never had that. No. No. Mm -mm. And uh, like, I'm sure that there are maybe people who are a bit more methodical about how they start their business. But a lot of people I speak to, it's more so like we have this idea, like I'm going to pursue it and then kind of like, like adapt as it takes yeah, me to you a certain figure place. It along as you go. Like my other thing is like the, I see people do is they do the business plans and then they like, they like raise all this money. It's like, I don't, I'm like, they seem like Ponzi scheme businesses mm. to me. Like mm-hmm. I'm like, if you have to make money, your business has to make money unless yeah. you're, I mean, at least for me, like I'm very grounded and Jason and I are both very grounded in that way where it's like, what are we doing otherwise? Like I'm not on this other, I don't know, those other, they seem kind of floaty and airy businesses to me. Like I don't understand whether, like how, who's paying the bills, like where the money's, like it's like you sell something, you make money, you have to make more money than you're spending. Like I feel like if you kind of stick to some of those, like they're super basic principles, mm-hmm you should be pretty good because I think it allows you then to have the ability to be adaptable and just, and maybe slow down if you need to, or, you know, cause I have watched a lot of businesses. They, people put themselves in these high pressure situations and then you like have to go at a certain pace and have all this goals to hit and planning. Like one thing that we, we spent so many years doing this, like planning. We don't do, we don't do planning anymore. Mm-hmm. We really literally are like, we look ahead as much as we can and kind of try to predict but we've never been like a, I'm. Give me one person that did like a business plan and was like 100 percent accurate. Oh no, it doesn't no happen. It's like not possible. No, it's, and something's always off, and then you're disappointed, and then I'm like, well, you're only disappointed because you thought you could predict something mm-hmm. when you really should be happy because maybe you're. 
actually exceeding it in a different way mm-hmm. that, than you anticipated. But you know what I'm saying? If you're setting expectations to hit every metrics at like a certain level and you're, you're never going to. So I want to kind of go back to something that you said, which is obviously like the profitability bit, right? Yeah. Because there's like different schools of thought here as well. Like, you know, some brands do choose to raise money. Others go the profitability yeah. route. And I'm guessing like that's kind of the, the direction yeah, that you guys took. Yeah, 100%. Start. And I think, I'm not saying you can't raise money. You can totally raise money. But I think you have to have a profitability model to sustain. I just, I yeah. guess so for unit us economics to, do have to make sense. Yeah, yeah. and I think also... I was never comfortable. We were never comfortable with that proposition because I find that like, like if someone's going to give me money, it's like, that's a lot of burden and a lot of pressure that comes with that. Right. And then that's like, you feel like you owe them something and you have to like, you know, I don't know. It's like all this stuff. And I think it takes away a little bit of your, not a little bit, quite a bit of your nimbleness because then you're focused. These things become a priority and you're also, I feel like, artificially growing your business to a certain extent. And so if you don't have an organic growth and that that organic growth can't continue to support your gro- overall growth, right? And you're constantly fueling it with falseness. I feel like there's a cliff you're going to come off. Does so, that make sense? Yeah, it does. So, But uh, that, that's also maybe just for our type of business. I know there are other businesses that obviously like you have to raise money because you need like a certain amount of capital to even like what do whatever product you're doing or whatever. I'm saying in, I feel like in product oriented businesses, if you can goal for profitability, I think you, it's the safest way to go. So would you like, if today you are to start Griana, cause you guys yeah. have been at it for 19 years. Yeah. Right. And like, I think that first, actually my first question is, do you feel like the market was like less saturated back then than it is today? Or like, do you feel like the competition was like no. equally there? I think it was equally there. I mean, I remember going to store, it was just different. So like uh-huh. when we would go to, cause we predominantly worked with wholesale boutiques in the beginning. Right. And I remember going in and they're like, the number one category we get called for appointments for is jewelry. Interesting. And that's because most like creatives, like it's easiest to go and order gemstones and wire and chain and make your own stuff. Like it's an easy thing to learn how to make. Like you can watch videos and it's not that complicated of a thing. And I think there was the, the barrier to entry was so low for jewelry. Where if you get into clothing, you're dealing with minimums and all that kind of stuff. Like at first, like I was making all the product. Mm. So if you wanted one necklace and you were a boutique, sure, I'll make you one. You want one in blue and three in pink. Great. I can do that because I'm making it myself. So no, but it's definitely different now. I mean, when we started, if you had your own website and you sold on it as a brand, that was like a big no-no. Really? Like as wholesalers wanted to be the point wow. of purchase. So oh like, my God. Y- Things it, have changed. Yeah. So if you look at like, they would be like, oh, you have a website. We're like, yeah. We're like, oh no, it's just like to show what we do. They're like, oh, okay, good. Cause we don't work with brands that like sell on their own. Like even big brands, like at the time, like huge brands didn't have, didn't sell on their websites when we started. Oh my God. I'm like floored. <laughs> I know. It's like, so for me, I feel like a dinosaur sort of in this, like, I've seen this Shift, shift yeah. right? And it's now it's like, if you don't have a website, if you don't have a D2C, are like, you, are you are in Joe? Yeah, yeah you're like, so, like, why would you not? That is just wild. So I think the main shift probably in terms of like how you start a business is probably like now, like it's so easy to start a website. Even when we first started our first D2C website, like 
the amount of programming and it was so complex. Now it's like you get a Shopify website, it's up in like two days and you're good to go. Like take some photos. Like that is so much easier now. Now it's like almost anyone can have a website. So then talk to me about how you guys scaled because you didn't have this like massive influx of cash. It was just literally like you doing we, it. Yeah. So day we by literally day. would go to trade shows. We would get orders. We would then fulfill the orders that were closest to us. So we could go drive the order, cash the check in order to make the order for like somewhere where we had to ship it. So we were literally wow. like just like going through and then and also then trying to save enough so we could like pay our rent and eat. <laughs> so it was like literally like we started this on our apartment floor. Wow, that's that's crazy. Yeah, like we was literally hand to mouth and we did it. So we started with wholesale boutiques and they were really, we still work with wholesale boutiques. And we did that for a very long time. And then we started our own e-commerce site. But that was like, even then when people were like, will anyone buy anything online? <laughs> Like that was not a possibility. And you're like, yes, people will transact online. And then that's obviously grown over the years and slowly. Like then we started working with like bigger department stores and like Nordstrom's and Bloomingdale's and that stuff. And then we opened our first store kind of on a whim on our own. And then it was so awesome. Then then the trajectory. What drove that decision to start your own retail store strictly intuition and blind confidence like wow, we live in Laguna Beach mm -hmm. it's an awesome beach town there's this little store on the corner we would drive by and I was like you know what if we ever opened our own store like that's where it would be and so we really did it as more of for like our brand that we have it's such a tourist town like so many people visit Laguna and so many of our customers like when we, we would do trade shows would be like oh I love Laguna I was there last summer blah 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 so we were like you know what this is a great spot just to have a representation. So if someone wants to learn more about the brand and get more feel for the brand, we're here in Laguna. It's our hometown. Let's do it here. And then it just was like, from there, then we started getting like people that were developing centers or were started being like, hey, like, we love what you're doing. Like, we'd like for you to open here. And we were like, oh, okay. And then we started looking at different, like, and then we still opened in Venice and Abikini. Like, it was just, and we spent a ton of time in New York and love New York. And that was kind of like our second home. And so we were like, okay, let's open one there. And then it just sort of, and they all were working. So it's just been like. Do you remember the like one kind of like big moment for Goriana, like early days where you were like, oh my God, I can't believe we got in there or like, like just like a pivotal moment that you guys had. Which was like, it, it was like literally. So, so it's funny because in different phases. In the first phase, it was doing these trade shows. Mm -hmm. And Coterie is like, at the time was like the biggest trade show to get into. Yeah. Where all the top like buyers would go to. And we got into that. And that was like a big deal. It was like, oh my God, we got into Coterie. We have our booth. This is going to be amazing. So that was one. We had been in talks with Nordstrom for a long time. And it, like the timing wasn't really right. And our jewelry, you know, a lot of that department store catered to like very big jewelry. And that really has never been like our thing. And so the delicate layering concept was something that they kind of, once they were ready for, like that was a big deal. And that was exciting because it was such a mass amplification of the brand, which was awesome. And then I think in terms of stores, like we, our first few stores were like street stores, like I say, like in Laguna or Abikini or in Nolita and West Village. And then when we opened our um, UTC La Jolla location, which is like in an outdoor like shopping center, 
it like felt like you were like, whoa, like this feels like a big deal. Cause like yeah. this, you know, it's like, it's a beautiful space. The build out's beautiful. And then like, you're in this like huge center and then you're like, all of a sudden you're like, you know, you look back and you said, oh, like five years ago, we were so excited to be in Nordstrom and now we're outside of Nordstrom with our own store. I mean, that's that's massive, though. Yeah. Like that can't be overlooked. Like it's it must no, have been, and like, it's massive. It's, totally. And it's one of those, you know, you kind of sit back and we don't do a good enough job probably of sitting back and reflecting like that. We were, I don't I think a lot of entrepreneurs have the same <laughs> issue. Yeah, I'm the same way. Where yeah. I'm like, oh, we hit that milestone. What? Okay, I know. I'm like, fine. oh, whatever. On to the next. Like because you're constantly sort of like on to the next and like sweeping through things. But yeah, there's been some moments where you're like, wow, this is pretty amazing. That's incredible. So I, like I remember seeing, like, first hearing about the brand, I want to say, like, six, seven years ago. And then it just became this thing I couldn't stop seeing. And so what do you feel like if you could give any tips to entrepreneurs who are looking to build a brand like yours, right? Like, with, like, legs that last for a long, long time. They're not in it just to, like, get in, get out. What tips would you give them for kind of having that visibility and and everyone kind of knowing about the brand? You have to be so patient. <laughs> I mean, I will say one, one of the first boutiques I got into, there was a designer there and she was blowing up. She was in Saks. She was in North Neiman. She was like, and she had this one item and it was amazing and everyone loved it. And I remember being so envious of thinking like, oh my God, she just been doing this for a year and she's got over 700 accounts. This is like crazy. And I, maybe we had like three and then two years later, it was sort of like, it was so popular that it was like a fad and then it was done. Wow. And I remember like thinking back and being like, Oh geez, like, okay. Like that definitely wasn't the goal. And I think having that slow, it's like the turtle in the hair, right? Like, if you're okay being the turtle, just be okay being the turtle. Because mm-hmm. it's all compounded. It's, you know, I read that book by Ma- Ma- Malcolm Gladwell, Outliers. Yes. And that had a huge, actually, impact on me because I always felt like, oh, my God, like, we've been doing this so long. And it's like, it's great, but you're, like, waiting for that moment mm-hmm. where you're, like, all of a sudden, you feels like you're, like, really, like, getting momentum. Yeah. And it just never... I don't know. I felt like it was taking forever. And then I read that book and I was like, oh, no, wait, it's 10,000 hours. I'm like, although I feel like we've done like 15. (laughs) But that's okay. It's still just like you have to put the work in. Mm -hmm. And it's all the little decisions you make. And it's all like our brand, like that perception of that it's everywhere. I think it's only because like we work with so many wholesale boutiques. Then we worked with department stores. And then we have our website. And then we are on social. And then we have, like, so it's, like, all that stuff coming together to make everyone then feel like, oh, wait, you're just, like, all of a sudden here. I'm like, no, this has been, like, 19 years we've been doing this. That's a long time. That's a lot of hours. So when when it came to, like, building a brand and being okay with being a turtle, what do you have to say about competition? Like, were you ever afraid that another jewelry brand would come and kind of like just like just kind of take over the market or like what, what are your no, thoughts No, because there? I think I think there's room for a lot of competition. I think people like even for me, like I definitely have my certain brand loyalties, like of certain designers that I love and I keep going back to. But I always love discovering new ones, too. It doesn't mean I still don't buy the other ones. So I do feel like it doesn't really worry me. Like I do get 
worked up when people start copying. Like that's a, but that's like a whole nother conversation. And I, I've learned to just sort of deal with it and be like, you know what? It's flattery. Just move on. We're doing what we're doing and it's fine. I try honestly not to look at things so much so that sometimes we have come out with some stuff and I'm like, oh, I didn't know one tell me that this person that's like what they do. Like, I don't even know mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I'm, I really try to like sort of stay in my own like creative bubble. I do the same. I'm, I'm like, I, otherwise I feel like your creativity is like interrupted and you're, even yeah. if you don't realize it, just subconsciously things are entering your yep. sphere yeah. and the pureness of your ideas go away. Totally. And I feel like when we come up with something and we get really excited I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. It's like, this is new and it's different. And we still, I mean, it's like 19 years and I still get excited about collections, which is awesome because I'm like, okay, clearly I'm doing the right thing. But I feel okay because I feel like, okay, that organically came from us. Like we were, I'm not sitting here on Instagram, like looking at what other people are doing. If there's an overlap, oops, like that. And I have found that happens sometimes. Like we will sometimes launch a collection and someone, I'm like, Okay, clearly. And I do believe in that like higher consciousness, you know, sometimes people, everyone's like, you know, people can tap into different things mm-hmm. at the same time. It doesn't mean like you're, co- and sometimes I remember that too, where I'm like, oh God, they're doing what we're doing. I'm like, oh, but they could have just come up with that idea on their own. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting because I think that a lot of brands do feel the pressure to scale really, really quickly just because of that first mover advantage where like you come and you sweep the market. I don't actually market. think that is an advantage. Really? I don't. Why is that? Because I think that you make a lot of mistakes being it's the true. first. I think there's a lot. And I've watched a lot. I mean, there's been some jewelry brands that have come ahead of us. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, we're going to, you know, like, look what they're doing. And you're like, yeah. And you're sitting here and you're like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And then, you know, they're out of business. You're like, oh, OK. <laughs> well, what did they? And I'm like, OK, geez, like, what did they do? Like, what mistakes did they make? Like, how can I learn from that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and like when you're in uncharted territory, it's like it's easy it also like you're not you don't have to think about challenges I feel like in the same way because there's no one really like in front of you yeah or there's not as many so you're like oh, I can go here and here and here and here and then you're like oh wait I should have maybe not done those last three <laughs> like, yeah yeah and you wouldn't have known that because like you know there's just you're kind of get I think that like mass growth mindset is okay for certain things but you should be probably be more methodical about what you do. So I actually like speaking of growth, I think that something that you guys have done well is you're not just in wholesale. Like that's actually not how I found you. Like I found you guys, I believe it was through social. And like, then I remembered that, oh yeah, I saw them at like Nordstrom or like this or that store. But how did you guys adapt to kind of live in this world where it's like social first and web first? Because when you guys were originally like yeah. doing your thing, it wasn't really like that wasn't the world that you were in. No, totally. I still, I don't still don't think that is like we still were like now retail first. Like we don't really like, yes, obviously we have our website and yes, it's important and it's amazing. But I feel, I don't think we're not really, we're not a digital first company. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I'm very much like, I still believe in the retail experience. I still believe like, like I said, like I went to Lulu in Georgia today because of their pop up because I wanted to feel the furniture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I want to see, I want to sit in it. I'm like, that looks amazing online, but can I sit in this couch? And it was really amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the experience that I want. And yeah. so a lot of that is also personal. Like I try to just kind of think like, okay, like 
what works for us. Like what, like what does our team think? And we have a lot of group thought and a lot of meetings where we're like, okay, like, does that make sense as a group? Like, what do we think? And I think we make a lot of decisions and we're okay with that. Like if it makes sense to us, we're okay making that choice. Even if maybe that's not like the popular choice or like the trendy choice or whatever is happening. Does that make sense? Like it's sort of like this grounded reality we kind of live in. And yes, social is important. I totally agree. And it's awesome. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, you can now have a Shopify site and Instagram and TikTok and everything, and you could do it all and it's great, but it's also so crowded. And if you're just focusing on that, I don't know. So as a retail first brand in that case, what happened during COVID? Because I'm sure it was, yeah. Well, we thought we were going to close for two weeks. (laughs) Yep. And it ended up being, I think, eight weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. I think we were closed for eight weeks or 10 weeks. What was it? March through April, May. Yeah, no, it was 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. It was really stressful. We made a lot of really scary and fast decisions that we just were like, we have to survive. So if this never recovers, like we have to make, we made some really hard cuts early on and had to let go of some people that were fantastic. But we were like, we overall have to do what's best for this business and not knowing, you Mm -hmm. know? And the one great thing that happened with COVID was that we, it also then made us focus on what is important and then really kind of get back to it. Like I think before we spent a lot of time looking at different aspects of our business and when you're looking at so many, you're not really focusing. And now we're definitely focused. We definitely focus us on like what's important, like our product, our stores, our website, even social. Like what are we doing? Like we really like analyze all of it and we're very methodical about it. So like I want to get even more granular. Okay. Like COVID happens. Yes. You have to shut down. Yeah. Then what? Like what's your like what's your revised strategy? Like so how are you we pushing- basically focus and we're like, okay, well, people are at home and people are shopping. So we're like, okay, we'll focus like we just we have e-com, so we'll communicate through e-commerce and social. We did that. And then it was like, okay, now we're gonna slowly start markets are opening. And it was just like literally we had we talked like twice a day five days a week, I was our like executive team and everything. And it was just like, okay, what are the protocols today? Like what's coming out? Like even now it's like, okay, like face masks have just been lifted. Okay. Like how do we adjust that? So it's been really like two years of constantly adjusting and adapting and like really being in the details, like all of them. Yeah. I mean, I think if anything, COVID has taught all, I think everyone, not just entrepreneurs strictly, yeah. but like everyone to be nimble. And like, I, I, I think if you don't adapt, you'll lose in this. But in also this. like very quickly responsive. Yeah. So it's like you can be nimble, but then you have to like make really fast decisions. And totally. Say like, you- oh, okay. This is a new protocol. We need to go with this. Oh, we're going back into shutdown. We need to go to this. Like what is happening? Like it's just, and it's, you know, it's like we're reopening. Okay. Now we can only have a certain amount of people per store. And we have to have like, we have to order sanctions. People can wait in line. Like it's like all that stuff, all those little details just so magnified in everyday decisions. Yeah. With yeah. retail, like I I just, I can't, like I've spoken to my friends who have like coffee shops or like restaurants and it's like, it's been the most insane thing to hear about like what COVID did. No, um, that, that, that was crazy. Like you can go into a restaurant, you can't and then take out and not take out and you're like, oh my God. And you're trying, it's just, it's just been, it I can't imagine for restaurants. That was so much worse. At least for us, we're not, we weren't dealing with that, but 
But, you know, Griano, what's crazy is I, I went back to Toronto, like, you know, uh, like as things started opening mm-hmm. up and I went and I walked around like one of my favorite streets, which is just like filled with like amazing luxury stores. OK, and I literally walked and so many were gone, yeah. like so many shut down. And then I went to our like big mall. And again, like so many stores had shut down and it was it, it, I mean, it's been wild to see like the impact that it did have on certain retailers. No, it's and terrible. I feel like you, you guys obviously. Well, I think what we did is we quickly were like, we, that's not what we want. We're like, yeah. okay, what can we do to make sure that we can, when we reopen, can reopen mm-hmm. and then like hold out and weather this storm. Yeah. And so we really drastically were like reduced expenses and everything we could because we were like that the goal we didn't want to make rash decisions and get into a point where we had to then be like, oh, we have to, okay, now we got to close some stores because we can't figure it out. Yeah. I mean, it, it's awful. Time. Yeah, yeah, no, it's been terrible. And it's so sad. I mean, I know like we walked, like I remember going back to New York for the first time. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, it's actually heartbreaking. Yeah, like, I it's was, awful. It, it just yeah. doesn't, like it didn't even feel like New York. Like the first time I went back post pandemic because funnily enough, I was in New York the day that the first case was announced. Okay. And like, I was supposed to go back to Toronto the next day and that's what I did. And I was like, I remember having dinner with a friend and being like, can you imagine if these conspiracy theorists are right and the city (laughs) shuts down? Like, that's impossible. It's like doomsday. And then like a week later, everything shut down. And I went back like post pandemic and I was like, whoa. I mean, it's just... Like, it's crazy to watch. No, it's it crazy is. to watch. The only good thing that happened in New York was I love the outdoor eating mm-hmm. now because mm-hmm. it feels like you're in Europe and it's like that, like, that was the, I was like, this is the only benefit is now that everyone has outdoor seating yeah, and, and it's, it's like really very cute. cool. They really did it up. <laughs> so, so cute. I was like, this is so charming and these little lights and you're like outside and it's I love true. it. Yeah. I love it. So you've been doing this for a really long time. Yeah. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about mentality. How do you not get emotionally thrown this way or that way based on how the company is doing, like either on a daily basis or a monthly basis? Or or is it something that you deal like, you know, it's just inevitable? No. So one thing I realized early on, which I'm so grateful, I probably don't tell him enough, is that so doing this with my husband, he really bears a lot of that like roller coaster burden Mm -hmm. and the like the stress of the business and he so thank you Jason because I realized early on to be creative I can't do that Mm -hmm. and I can't I just have I have faith in our team and faith in him that every like everyone's making the best decisions they can and everything will work out how it's supposed to be but I can't be in that day-to-day anxiety because I will I will not be able to create so for me as a creative like I I'm aware of it and if there's bigger things, of course, like COVID or whatever, like that was fine. But then I have such a, I've been able to sort of like compartmentalize that and be like, okay, like it'll be okay. I'm not in, like, I'm not there day to day, but like I can focus here because I know at the same time, like for, like for the team that's dealing with all that, they're like, okay, we have faith in you. You're going to like design new product that's going to keep us going, right? So like everyone kind of knows like where we all need to focus our energies. And that's, we found that footing probably pretty early on and it's been great. Yeah, I mean, I think that like 
Nish and I discuss this concept a lot. It's like one plus one should equal three. Yes. In, in, in like a business capacity, right? And so yeah. we never overlap on the things that we're taking on because otherwise like we're not able to thrive in our individual areas. And I think like this way, like same way that you guys are doing it, you're just able to accomplish a lot more and it works more synergistically, you know? Totally. And I think like one thing, like we are still working from home, from home and are permanently working from home mm-hmm. because what we found too is like being... Like, even if we're in separate rooms, like, you're more connected because you're more aware of what the other person's kind of going through even energetically. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I think when we were in an office, we would go to the office and then not see each other all day and have totally separate experiences, totally separate days, and then go home. And frankly, not I don't want to talk about work because, like, we have two kids. I'm like, let's just be in home mode. And then to try and like come together on the same energetic plane at the end of the day when having two completely separate different experiences was, was really difficult. And this has been a lot easier because I think when there are bigger things, we talk about them like right away because mm-hmm. like we're in the same place. Yeah. <laughs> and there's not distractions. And now that the kids are like back in school, like it's even like more so. And then, I don't know, just like having that space for each other, but we're also like, give each other our space everyone like you know even like our whole team like everyone's doing their thing but then everyone knows and is comfortable like bringing it to the group if it's like something that's bigger and affects everybody but you have to give every everyone has to have like a certain trust level Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know I couldn't agree more so since this is the dream bigger podcast I want to equip our listeners with like tools from the very best which is people like yourself (laughs) So I want to do a quick rapid fire. Okay. Three questions. Okay. So first, what was a big dream you had when you were younger that never worked out? Well, it's because I did, well, being a model, like I thought I could, I really, I was like, I'm going to be Sydney Crawford. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, totally, I'm going to be a model. That's what I'm going to do. And then I got in there into it and I was like, oh, this is cool, but like not for me. And so I think like, listen, I learned actually probably pretty, pretty quickly to like to listen to my intuition and my gut and be like, you know what? That's not gonna. That's a good tip. Yeah. That's a really good tip. Because I think like sometimes having that vision of like, oh, that, that could be so much fun and seems so glamorous. Like I see people now, they're like, I want to be an influencer. I'm like, okay, that's just, I understand what you think it is, but like you should, I don't, I'm not sure you really want everything that comes with it as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What is one book you think our listeners should listen to? Definitely Outliers. Or read. <laughs> yeah. Outliers for sure. It's a great book. I love that book. I think it's just has very relevant examples and just like the whole concept of being patient and actually putting the work in. Cause I will say I think one thing that social media has distorted is the concept that you actually have to work. Mm. I think there's a perception that like things come really easily and people are lucky and then all of a sudden you're famous and you're making all this money and you're like so big. And I'm like, no, that's not reality. Like you have to grind and you have to work and it's not, you don't, maybe that's happens to certain people, but it's such a small percentage of people that are successful that that's actually happened to. That's like, you need to, not goal for like least in most out. That's not the goal. And also I think it's like a reality check for people to just know what it takes to master something totally. or like really become an expert. It's not like your first go. There's no such thing as an overnight success. Like no. everything that you see, like those people who 
feel like an overnight success. We've just not seen the work that they've been doing, you know, and it just all culminates and it's like that breakout role or like their business exploding. It's not an explosion. Like they've hustled their ass off for it behind the scenes for years. For sure. And you see that it's funny because I think I having two children and watching people deal with sports for kids, like kids sports. It's crazy because I see these parents and I'm like, um, okay, you're acting, your anxiety level is one of like, if you had like messy as your child right now. And like, I'm not seeing that. I, I think, and <laughs> like the once a week practice is certainly not going to get your son there. I don't know why we're acting like this. Like there's like a certain disconnect, even with parents, like they see like these fantastic athletes and you're like, yeah, Kobe, Kobe Bryant was fantastic. He played basketball probably like six, eight hours a day. Like, that's what he did. Like, it's like, it's Truly, not just I, like, he just picked up a ball and was like, ooh, three-pointer. No, I mean, <laughs> if anyone is interested, I read Relentless, and it was by Tim Grover, who's okay. Kobe Bryant's, like, coach. And he's, like, coached, like, the best basketball players in the world. And it went through, like, the grind that these people go through. And it yeah. is just, like, it's really no mystery of what they are based on what they've put 100%. in. It's completely like an input output kind of. And of course, like talent as well. But like Kobe Bryant was just not out there like shooting a ball and like, it's like all one, good. Like, like one, yeah, 10 <laughs> minutes a day. And I'm like, yeah, come on. That's no, not happening. It's and I think, But I think, and I think athle- athletics is one thing. But when you look at business too, like you have to grind at it. And you're constantly learning from your mistakes. And you're making a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. Okay, last one. What is a habit that's a non-negotiable for you? Mm. Okay, so lately it's my new habit and it's my daily walks. Love that. I literally feel like a new human being since I I started doing this. Like I used to, no offense, but mock people that walked or not mock, but I'd be like, okay, whatever. Like, what is that doing? (laughs) Like, because it was like that intense, like I must get my workout. And it's like all this like, I'm not burning. And then I realized, like, I started, like, tracking. I'm like, oh, actually, I'm burning more in my walk than I am in my, like, sculpting workout. I think, like, I maybe had this issue, like, this whole thing. And for me, the non-negotiable is because, like, Jason, I try to do it daily. And it's this awesome, like, you're outside. I'm getting my vitamin D. I'm getting my fresh air. And it's just, like, this, like, complete decompression where, like, I feel like a different human being. It makes such a difference. Yeah. Brianna, this has been amazing. Tell everyone where they can find you. You can find us on our website at Gorana.com. And then we have 28 stores across the country. So And social media. At Gorana. G-O-R-J-A-N-A. Amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people, learn and unlearn, and have a lot of fun. See you next week. 